Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, well, happy Easter. I am just so honored that you chose to hang out with us today. And whether it's your first time in church or you're a regular here, I want to say happy Easter from me and from my family. My name is John. I get to be one of the pastors here. This is my wife, Mel, and our three kiddos. And you know, something about my kids, they love singing. And uh, my oldest is in middle school now, but there was a phase when the Disney movie Frozen, are you guys familiar with this? Anna and Elsa. There was a song in that movie called Let It Go. And for a few years, I thought it would be stuck in my head for the rest of my life. Now, those of you with kids now know that that song has been replaced by another song called We Don't Talk About, that's right, yeah, we don't talk about Bruno, but we sing about him all the time. Back when Frozen was the thing, one day my son, who's in middle school now, so this is probably seven years ago, it was the middle of the summer and he just wanted to put on his winter clothes and it was kind of hilarious because he really had outgrown them. He wasn't trying to look like this character from Frozen, but he dressed, he put his winter clothes on. My wife took this picture and she texted it to me and she was like, does he not look exactly like this character from Frozen? My kids love singing and they also love animals. I love animals too, but uh, sadly I'm allergic to cats. So I'm a dog person. My daughter Zoe, whenever we're somewhere and there is a cat, she makes up for lost time and she cuddles and she hugs the cats and she just loves cats. Look at the expression on the face of this cat in this picture. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Zoe is enjoying that embrace a little bit more than the cat is. And uh, Zoe, for the longest time, you know, she had her stuffed animals and dogs, and every cat she had met had been a nice cat. Uh, but the day came eventually, this was a few years ago, where she was squeezing a cat like that, and it, it didn't like it, uh, and it scratched her. And, and don't worry, she survived, but um, this, is, this is that look of just total shock and rejection and just like, you're a furry creature that I was hugging. Why would you do that? And I remember the tears that Zoe had that day, tears of just rejection and surprise, and it's somewhat cute uh, at that age. But we live through life, and all of us feel that feeling at some point, don't we? Uh, you know, that feeling of maybe you start a relationship and you think, this is going to be awesome. And uh, instead, when it ends, you're just so hurt. Uh, life scratches us all eventually. Life disappoints us. Life shatters our dreams. And sometimes we hurt because of the mistakes that we've made. And other times we hurt because of the mistakes that other people have made. We hurt in sickness, in physical sickness. We hurt in injury. Uh, we hurt when we're rejected. We hurt in loneliness and isolation. Our bodies age and it hurts in the mirror to look at ourselves but it also hurts physically as our bodies wear out 
There's the hurt of cancer treatment. There's the emotional hurt of having empty chairs in your home where once there was someone you loved. I was reading this last week about tears when we cry. I learned a whole bunch of things. I learned that a teardrop like this, actually you can't see it with the naked eye, but there's three layers in that teardrop. There's an outer layer that's kind of oily, and there's the middle layer, and then there's a center layer. I learned that your body and mine, um, we all have in common. Every human has cried, whether at birth or as a child. And uh, Tough guys, we don't like to admit it, but we've all cried. And, and we cry three kinds of tears. This is universal. No matter how much money a person makes or uh, where, whatever their status in life or their nationality, it's universal human experience. Um, we all produce tears that are kind of lubricating tears for the physics of the eye, we all produce another kind of tear, which is responsive to physical uh, stimuli or problems. So if you're sitting around a campfire and the smoke blows into your eyes, your eyes are going to tear up, uh, and that's your body's response. And most animals produce those same two kinds of tears that you and I produce. But the third kind of tear that you produce and that I produce is unique to humans. Uh, in fact, scientists and uh, biologists have studied no animals cry tears of emotion. Uh, animals might whimper and make noises that let you know and will say, oh, the dog is crying because it's whimpering. But when a dog is whimpering, a, a tear doesn't fall down from its eye unless it has dirt in its eye or something. Uh, you can check this out. Scientists have looked into it. It is uniquely human. They're not sure why. It's uniquely human that when you feel an incredibly strong emotion... Uh, sometimes uh, uh, tears of joy, sometimes just tears of being emotionally moved, and as we all know, tears of pain, of sorrow, of rejection, of suffering. It is uniquely human to cry when you're hurting. And it's part of the human experience that we all know that, that feeling. We all know what it is to look out through blurry eyes after crying. Did you know that in a given year, your eyes, you've got two Tear glands, they're about almond size, the tip of an almond in each of your eyes. In the course of a year, your tear glands and ducts will produce 15 to 30 gallons of tears. Now, hopefully you're not crying most of those out of emotional pain. Hopefully most of those are just the normal, you know, lubrication of the eye, 15 to 30 gallons in a year now i'm going to give you a chance to have some maybe some tears of joy maybe it's not quite that funny but have you seen this website called awkward family photos i love these when i need a good laugh i love this guy on the bottom right with the clarinet and the kind of bejeweled lederhosen and the uh the mullet and the glasses there's a lot going on in that picture. I was looking for a picture of my brother Paul because I want to tell you guys a story about him. And the first one that I came across uh, was this one. I thought, oh my goodness, this could be on awkward family photos. <laughs> this is awkward. I mean, I'm holding a giant dog and um, there's two clocks on the mantle. No idea why there's two clocks three feet away from each other. And then there's my brother who's actually a very nice guy. But in this picture, he just looks like a total creeper. Doesn't it? He just looks like a creeper. Like, don't, don't get in a vehicle with that guy, okay? Funny story about um, that kind of dog. That breed is called a white Samoyed. 
And I had one when I was uh, in middle school and high school. It was a rescue dog. I loved that dog. My daughter Zoe, the animal lover, she loves huskies. And she would love to have a white Samoyed, but we haven't gotten one because they shed a lot. And during spring break, Zoe and I were talking to you saying, Dad, I want a white Samoyed so bad. And I said, you know, Zoe, I mean, I loved that dog so much. Maybe when I'm like really old, I'll get another white Samoyed. And no joke, she looked at me and she said, Dad, you already are really old. <laughs> I thought, I'm 39. Does that really count? I guess it does to a 10-year-old. So... But let me show you a better picture of my brother Paul, because I want to tell you a story that is not creepy. And it's actually a story about a time um, when I had tears in my eyes. It was my freshman year of high school. And uh, we all know that when you're a freshman in high school and you're in the hallway of your uh, high school, you don't want to be crying (laughs) at all, especially as a dude. Like, not not what you want to be happening. Um, Freshman year, it's pretty normal to be kind of insecure and be trying to figure out who am I, where do I fit, who's my group. Um, and of course, you're so intimidated by the seniors and the juniors. And my freshman year, uh, one day, um, long story short, essentially I got bullied uh, real bad. And it was in a really public setting. And I, I kind of held it together through that. And, you know, my whole class almost had seen. And I, I made it to my locker. It just took everything I had to get to my locker. And I opened my locker and I just kind of buried my head in there uh, because I just couldn't hold back the tears anymore. And I didn't want anyone to see me crying. And um, I, I was in that moment, 14 years old, and um, had that thing where your eyes are all blurry. And, and I saw someone out of the corner of my eye, kind of the periphery coming up, and just thought, oh no, I can't like handle anything else. And then I felt this hand on my shoulder and an arm around me, and then I recognized the voice. It was my older brother, Paul, who was a senior. Uh, someone had told him about what had happened, and... Um, There I was, I was just so weak, and he was just there, and he was strong, and uh, he just said, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay, and he just kind of stood there with me, Um, and and it's like 20 years ago now, 25 years ago now, but I will never forget in my weakness him being there for me. I wonder if I could tell you today how you can experience God in your suffering, if you could experience God like that where you're hurting, but you just know God is there, and you can hear him speaking, and it gets you through it. If you could experience God like that, would you want to know how? No no matter your past with God, maybe you walked in these doors saying, I don't know if I even believe in God. That was me at one point in my life. But if I could tell you today what you can do to experience God in your pain, in your suffering, in a way that will carry you through your pain, Would you want to know how? Well, that is the kind of question that we tackle here every weekend at Connection Point, not just Easter. Uh, We deal with real life. We're not religious people. We're not churchy people. Um, We have found that in Jesus, there are answers to these questions that don't just satisfy the mind, but affect the heart and the life and your identity and well-being. And we find those answers in what God calls the Bible or the Word of God. So I want to take you into a true story And it answers this question in a way that you can use today to encounter God in your suffering and in your pain. And it's actually part of the Easter story. We're going to start in John 19. And it starts when Jesus is being crucified. Now, as a little bit of history review, uh, Easter was started by followers of Jesus 
who claim that after he was crucified that he rose from the dead. That's a pretty audacious claim. And for 2,000 years, Jesus' followers have passed this on from generation to generation, believing that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that he literally rose from the dead. Um, It's not a myth. Uh, Jesus is one of the most documented people in history. There's no serious historians who doubt the existence of Jesus, and there's no serious historians who doubt his crucifixion. It was very public in this middle of a metropolis called Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people were there. Tens of thousands witnessed his death. Uh, It's so key in human history that if you look at the calendar date, so 2022, the year, you go back to year zero, what is it? It's the year that Jesus was born. That's how documented he is in history. Now, where Christians and non-Christians diverge is did this well-known person whose words are recorded for us, did he actually raise from the dead or not? I want to pick up in the moment that he's being crucified. What was a cross? It was a Roman torture device. Uh, It was meant to kill, but it was meant for a very painful death. And usually it was criminals or people that the political rulers wanted to make an example of who were crucified. Uh, There were some religious people who didn't like Jesus, and they talked those rulers into putting Jesus on a cross. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother. Now, we were talking about tears earlier. Could you imagine the emotion for Jesus' mother? As she's standing there, her son has been stripped naked. He's been beaten. A crown of thorns has been pressed into his brow, and there's blood, and there's sweat, and there's tears, And there are thousands of people chanting, just a a fury of a mob. They want him to die. And Mary, Jesus' mother, isn't the only person there. There's a number of women who followed Jesus. Now, the 12 disciples are kind of the most popular followers of Jesus, if you will, but they weren't the only ones. Jesus actually had an entourage And as he would go from village to village, there were as many as a couple hundred people sometimes who went with him. And there's at least 72 who were consistently with him. And in that group is this woman named Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene doesn't just happen to be in Jerusalem when Jesus is being crucified. Mary Magdalene has been following Jesus for the better part of two years. And the reason she follows Jesus is that Jesus accepted her when everyone else rejected her. And Jesus healed her when no one else could help her. Mary Magdalene had a condition, we don't know all the details of it, but we know that it was a condition that resulted in social rejection. She wouldn't have been allowed at family reunions. She wouldn't have been allowed at religious festivals. And Mary Magdalene is not her last name. Magdala is a city in Israel. You can go visit it this year if you want. It's there. And in Magdala is a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue from the time of Jesus. It's a building that Jesus most likely was in because he would go to the synagogues. Magdala was a fishing village, and we don't know all the details of Mary Magdalene's life. But we know that when she was rejected and unwanted, she came to Jesus. And we know Luke 8 verse 2 tells us that Jesus healed her of the condition that she had. And then she became one of these followers of Jesus. She became part of the entourage. And in Jesus and his followers, she found identity. She found a family that she'd never had. 
She found acceptance. She found healing. And I can only imagine the tears in her eyes as she's standing there with Jesus' mom and she's watching the guy who healed her. She's seen Jesus raise people from the dead. She's seen Jesus heal the blind. She's convinced that he's the son of God. She's seen him multiply food. And now, for whatever reason, he's letting these people abuse him. He's letting them kill him. I mean, she's there when one of the other verses that we're not looking at, but it says a Roman soldier, they wanted to confirm that he was dead, so they jab a spear into his side as he's hanging there and out gushes blood and water. I can only imagine for Mary Magdalene, she's watching her hope die right before her eyes. Maybe you know what that feels like. Let's go through Mary's story. Jesus after he's clearly dead, his disciples, by the way, have fled. Other than the one named John, the others, they have fled. And it's Mary and these women who are actually bold enough to be at the foot of the cross. And they're just weeping as they see Jesus suffer and crumple and breathe his final breath. Then there's this other follower of Jesus, a rich guy named Joseph of Arimathea. He had followed Jesus from a distance. And by the way, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you've always followed Jesus from a distance. There needs to be a moment in your life like Joseph of Arimathea where you step out and you say, this is who I am. And Joseph of Arimathea uh, finally steps forward. And even though it's socially unacceptable and the whole city just wanted this guy killed, he said, I'm going to essentially fund the burial. And Joseph and most likely servants from his household, they take Jesus' body. It's a corpse. He's dead. They take his body down from the cross. They wrap it in this linen cloth. And then they go place it in a tomb. Now, unlike nowadays where we dig usually six feet in the ground, at this time, rich people like Joseph of Arimathea, they would buy the side of a rock face. They would have it carved out. And they would put the body in there. So he lays the body in a tomb. And then he has his people roll a stone in front of the entrance. And look who's there again. Mary Magdalene. It does not make a lot of sense to be following Jesus anymore. He's dead. It's a corpse. But she's still following Jesus. Peter's not there. James and John aren't there. Mary Magdalene's there. And she sees where they place the body. Now, Passover, Saturday, in Jewish culture, you weren't allowed to work. You weren't allowed to do anything. So Saturday, Mary Magdalene and the others, they're just weeping. They're just grieving at home But Sunday morning, as soon as the sun is coming up, you're allowed to leave your home. And so John 20 verse 1 says that early on Sunday, first person there, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene, she knows where the tomb is because she's been following the body when everyone else fled. She goes to the tomb. She finds that that huge stone has been rolled away. While that might seem exciting, To those who know how the story ends, in the moment, this is just sheer panic. This would literally be like showing up um, in a cemetery where you had a funeral a few days ago and you saw the casket buried and now there's a big hole in the ground and the casket's open. You'd be like, what is going on? She's bewildered. She's confused. She runs verse 2 and she finds Peter who's kind of the leader of the leftover disciples and, and she says they've taken the Lord's body out from the tomb. I, I have no idea where they put it. So you guys here, she's seeking Jesus, but she doesn't have faith that Jesus has risen from the dead yet. 
there's something in there for someone. Maybe you're like, man, I wish I could get into Jesus like you guys do, but I just don't have enough faith. Seek Jesus anyway. Go to the tomb even if you don't believe that he's risen. And that's what Mary does the very next verse. The disciples, they start panicking and freaking out. What does Mary Magdalene do? Once again, she just goes back to the tomb. The closest thing she can get to Jesus, it's the last place she saw his dead body. And outside the tomb, she's crying. She's weeping. She stoops down and she looks in. Inside are these two angels, messengers in white. One sitting at the head of where Jesus was laying and the other's at the foot. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. I mean, she's so enraptured. She's so caught up in Jesus that you know, normally when angels appear to people, people freak out. She's just like, good, angels are here. Where's Jesus? <laughs> right? Like, that's all that matters to her. Uh, and she's just like, I, I don't know where they've put him. Like, where have they put his body? She turns to leave, and I know this feeling from the story I shared with you guys. Out of her periphery, through blurry, tear-filled eyes, she sees a silhouette. She doesn't know who it is. It's actually Jesus, but she doesn't even know it yet. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asks her. Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken his body somewhere, just tell me where you've put him, and I'll go and I'll get him. And then... Jesus, with the unique fingerprint of the voice, we all have our own unique voice. He says her name, a name, she's heard this said dozens of times over the last two years. He says, Mary. And what her eyes couldn't put together through blurry tears, her brain says, I know that voice. And she turns and she cries out in her native language, teacher. Jesus, it's you. What I love about Mary's story is that she kept going to Jesus even when it didn't make sense, even when she didn't have perfect faith. And as a result, in her lowest low, in her suffering, she encountered God in a way that other people in the world who God loves, they didn't encounter him in that moment because they weren't going to him. And that is how you encounter God in your pain. You go to Jesus. You go to him when it doesn't make sense. You go to him when your faith isn't perfect. You go to him when you feel like I, I've gone and the tomb was empty. There was nothing. I went to God and it was empty. You keep going to Jesus persistently, consistently, passionately. Go to Jesus. Go to him with your heart. The word of God says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you search with all your heart. Go to him with your body. How do you do that? You're doing it right now. You chose to walk into a building that's all about Jesus, or you chose to uh, click online to a service that's all about Jesus. Go to him with your body. Go to him with your mind. Go to him with your heart. If you seek him, you will find him if you search with all your heart. This is my life story. This has changed me. I doubted God with my mind. 
But I had a season of my life where I said, God, if you're there, I want to know you. If Jesus was actually God, show me. If you can change my life, if you can change my emotions, if you can change my habits, if you can make me a better person, then I want to know you. And as I started to seek him, I found him. And then you find that the more you seek him, the more you experience him. I want to encourage you today, go to Jesus when your hope has died. Go to Jesus when your eyes can't cry another tear. Go to Jesus when your body wears out. Go to Jesus when your friends abandon you. Go to Jesus when you've lost a loved one. Go to Jesus when you've failed, when you're ashamed of yourself. Go to Jesus when you've got a secret that you hope no one will figure out. Go to Jesus, so important in your life, when you don't know what to do and when you don't know where to go. And I can't say this loud enough, when you don't know who you are, In a world that tells you so many lies about who you are, go to Jesus. He'll give you an identity. He'll give you a family. He'll give you a security. He'll give you a purpose. He can heal what no one else can heal. He can see what no one else can see. He invites you when no one else wants you. And just like Mary Magdalene had walked with him for two years physically, he wants to walk with you. And I'm telling you guys, this is not made up. This is not just a metaphor. Jesus will walk with you to doctor's appointments and to court appointments and early mornings when you're getting up for work. If you will seek him, he will walk with you. He will change your life. You can do this today. You can start this journey or you can reignite this journey by in your heart just saying, Jesus, I I, I want you in my life. I want to experience you. Do for me what you did for this Mary woman. Why? Well, it works. If it didn't work, one out of three people in the world today wouldn't claim to be a Christian. You can't market something like that. If it doesn't work, you don't get one out of three people in the world to do it. You know, a great example of that is the iPhone. The iPhone is successful not really because of Apple's marketing, though they do a good job of that. It's ultimately successful because it works. I remember when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. It was 15 years ago, January 7th of 2007. And Steve Jobs was already known as a revolutionary. He had revolutionized the computer industry, particularly the personal computer. Before Apple and Mac came along, to use a computer, you kind of had to be a nerd. Steve Jobs made it that normal people could use a computer. He revolutionized the industry. Then he did the same with music, When everything was on CDs, he created the iPod and the iTunes marketplace, and he revolutionized a second industry. Fifteen years ago, he stood up and he said, I'm going to revolutionize a third industry, the cell phone industry. Now, we all know what an iPhone is or a smartphone, and we use it because it works. We don't use it because we saw one ad from Apple or from Android, or we use it because it works. It gives us maps, it gives us directions, we can text all the stuff, we can watch YouTube videos, funny cat videos, whatever. We use it because it works. Well, when the iPhone came out, it was so revolutionary that Steve Jobs really had to think about, like, how do I present this to people? Because until people use it, they're not really going to get it. And so in that presentation in 2007, before he showed the first generation iPhone, he started his presentation to all these tech journalists, and he said, today, Apple is unveiling three 
new products. We're unveiling a new, better iPod. We're unveiling a revolutionary new phone that will change the world. And we're, in, we're unveiling a portable internet communicator. Now, everyone thought this is three separate things. No one had seen one thing that could do all three of those. And then Steve Jobs, in classic fashion for him, he just says it four or five times until people slowly start to realize this is one device that can do all three of those things. Now, I know if you're younger than 15 and it's all you've ever known, you're like, what's the big deal? It was a big deal at the time. It had these three basic functions. Now, as big a revolutionary as Steve Jobs was, and I'm a huge fan of his work, though I was a doubter, I adopted the iPhone probably about three years after it came out. My wife had an iPhone. I still had this old thing called a Palm Treo. It had a little stylus. And I was like, why do you love your iPhone so much? I was kind of like, I don't need that. And then we switched phones for one day. And I was like, okay, I need an iPhone. This, like, until you try it, you don't really get all that it can do. It's very similar with Jesus, though he was a far bigger revolutionary than Steve Jobs, in that 2,000 years later, almost half the world will pause to celebrate Easter. One out of three people claim to follow him as God every day. He's changed our calendar. He's changed our work week, by the way. That story you just read, Mary went to the tomb on a Sunday morning. That's why Easter, actual Easter, is always on a Sunday. And it's why most companies don't work and the stock market is closed on Sunday. You can thank the Christians for doing that if you trace it back through human history. Jesus, similarly, if you think of an iPhone, you can do thousands of things on it. But those are the three primary functions. It's a phone, music player, And its internet connection allows you to do all those other things. Well, Jesus, in a similar way, he can do thousands of things for you. He can set you free if you're struggling with alcoholism or with an addiction to a screen or to shopping. He can change you in your relationships. There's just thousands of things he can do for you. But really, you can summarize it with three basic functions, three basic ways that you can know Jesus. The first is to know him as friend And Mary Magdalene, who we saw, she knew Jesus in all three of these ways. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's a friend who weeps with those who weep. He's a friend who will never leave you or forsake you. And there are friends who comfort us, but they don't really have the power to change our circumstances. Jesus is a friend who comforts and empathizes, but he also has the power to transform you and to change your circumstances. It doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes it does. But he's a rescuer as well. That is, he can actually change you where you're addicted to something. He can change you as a husband so that your wife doesn't give up on you. He can change you as a dad. He can change you as a grandpa. He can change what you see when you look in the mirror, your self-identity. The third way function of Jesus is that he gives us eternal life. Now, when we're young, we don't really think like, wow, big deal. What does that matter? You'll reach a certain point in your life, and this happens to everyone, where you'll realize, oh, my body is starting to age. And just like every other person in history, no matter how healthy or wealthy or powerful, died, my body's also going to die at some point. At some point, you'll realize that. 
And for most people, it creates great fear because we don't know what's on the other side of death. Jesus tasted death. He died. And when he rose from the grave, you know what he was doing? My my son, who's a middle schooler, calls it a flex. He was flexing. He was showing the world. It's not just that he can heal people and cast out demons and multiply food and raise the dead and give peace. He can defeat death. That's what he was doing. He was flexing. And I just wonder, do you know Jesus as a friend? Do you know him as a rescuer? Do you know Jesus as the door, the gateway to eternal life? Where you know on a scale of 1 to 10 that if you were to die in a car accident this week, you're not a 7 or 8 out of 10. Do you know 10 out of 10, because I've believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I will wake up in heaven. Whenever this body breathes its final breath, my soul, my spirit will wake up in the presence of God. You can know that 100%. You don't have to worry, did my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? You don't need to pay money to a church. You don't need to jump through hoops. You can't earn your way to heaven. You receive it like a gift by simply saying, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Be the God of my life. Be the master of my life. That, the end of John, which we've been reading, says this. All of this is written down so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That is God on earth to give you eternal life. He's the Son of God. And by believing, you will have life through the power of his name. So maybe you're thinking, okay, John, you're saying go to Jesus. I want to go to Jesus. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. You tell me I need to fly to Israel and go to the tomb and wait for Jesus. How do I actually go to Jesus in 2022 in Indiana or wherever you're watching online? Here's how you go to Jesus today. You believe. You believe. You, you choose. Belief is not a feeling. It's a choice. And it doesn't mean you don't have any more doubts or questions, but you just say, Jesus, I do choose to believe you're Messiah. I do choose to believe you died on the cross and rose again. I do want you to change my life. And if you'll do that, he'll meet you in your suffering, in your pain, and you'll have an encounter like Mary Magdalene did. I get passionate about this because every year I get to see people experience this now. This is not 2,000 years old. This happens now. And I want to show you a, a dear woman, a precious woman, who one year ago, April of last year, was going through the hardest, most difficult suffering of her life. But look what happened when she went to Jesus. I was born and raised in Peru. My um, husband is also Peruvian. I actually met him at high school. We went to the same high school together. I have lots of um, aunts and uncles and cousins, but my core family was really small. It was just my maternal grandparents, uh, my mom, my dad, my brother and I. And yes, uh, we were very close, all four of us, my parents, my brother and I, um, to the point where when I moved from Peru to the U.S. 12 years ago, um, I felt like, and it's kind of weird, but even though we were separated physically, uh, our connection grew like even more. April of 2021, 
everything changed for us. COVID hit us, uh, hit my family really, really hard. Um, my grandmother, my mother, my father, and my un uncle ended up going to the hospital. Um, unfortunately, um, we lost everyone that ended up going to the hospital. Uh, my uncle passed away April 7th of 2021 at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, my mother passed away the same day um, at 11 o'clock. Two days later, um, my dad passed away on April 9th and the following day, April 10th, we lost our grandmother as well. It, it was a very difficult time. I couldn't say um, goodbye. Um, I couldn't, you know, tell them how much I love them and how thankful I, I am of everything they did for me. So it was definitely difficult. Uh, being far away was the worst part of it for me. And that's when um, my husband, you know, suggested that we come to Connection Point. It was a church that we've heard about so many times, always good things about it, but I was always hesitant because I felt like I was uh, cheating on <laughs> Catholic Church. And immediately, the first day that we came, they were doing the praise and, you know, all the songs. Um, I couldn't stop crying just because it, I felt the presence of God within me just by standing there and listening to, to all those beautiful songs. I was meant to be there at that very moment. What the tragedy that happened in my family did for me was to really push me to be closer to God. So since uh, joining uh, Connection Point, I um, started a grief share and I, at the beginning, wasn't sure whether I should do it or not. Um, just because I tend to be really shy and I, I struggle <laughs> connecting with people just, just that very first time until I get to know them. Uh, with Grief Share, uh, I felt that people understood what I was going through. Uh, I wasn't being judged because maybe I was feeling emotional or was crying too much. Like, people really cared and were compassionate about it. Uh, I also uh, participate in a uh, Latinx um, small group, um, and that's actually something that I really enjoy. I've um, made really good friends. I, I really enjoy connecting with people that understand how I feel. I've learned that God has a plan. Um, we should not question it. We may not agree with it. We may not understand it, understand it but um, everything has a purpose. And to me, um, even with everything that happened uh, to my family, I, I feel more at peace with myself, um, knowing that 
I am trying my best to, to fulfill what God has intended for me. It's amazing to see Marjorie a year later. I mean, you can't watch that without just feeling oh, the grief, the sorrow of where she was a year ago, losing all of her closest family to COVID and being in a different country from them. And yet a year later, you also can't watch that without seeing in her body language and the expression on her face, there's true joy. There's true peace. She, she has a, a true confidence that she's going to see her family, who are also followers of Jesus, again. And while there have been tears, she has experienced God in her suffering. I love this quote where she said, I felt the presence of God within me just by standing there. What did she do? She went to Jesus with her heart and with her body. She said, I'm going to go to a church where I know they talk about Jesus. I just need Jesus. She went to Jesus. How do you go to Jesus? In the same way, be here consistently or any church that's teaching pure Jesus and the Bible. Physically go to Jesus every weekend. With your heart, call out to him at your lows, but also in your highs and in your just normal day stuff. Know him as friend. Walk with him. Insist on him. I've learned that the more you go to Jesus, the more you'll experience him. And the less you go to him, the less you'll experience him. He loves you the same either way, but you're going to experience him more if you go to him more often. How do you do that? By gathering here. If you're traveling, you can watch online, but you can be intentional to say, I I'm going to be somewhere where I really connect with the teaching of God's word. You saw in Marjorie's life, she then got into one of our groups called Grief Share. And that's a group that you can join today if you want, if you have lost a loved one or if you're going through tragedy. We've got many other groups like that. We've got a group called Divorce Care. We've got a cancer support group. We've got Divorce Care for kids if your parents are going through a divorce. We've got groups for alcoholics. We've got groups for men and for women. Get with some other people. Mary Magdalene, for two years, she kept going to Jesus with a group of people. Get in a group of people like you're with today. And follow Jesus consistently, and you will start to experience him in your lows and in your highs. I love what Marjorie said as well when she said, I've learned that God has a plan. Now, by the way, God's original plan when he created Adam and Eve was not that we would ever die. You were created to be an immortal. That is a, a being that will never die. Your soul will never die. But Satan, a fallen angel, came into this world to kill and steal and destroy. And so the reason we're so uncomfortable with death is that we were never meant for death. When God saw Satan destroy not only our bodies that we break down and die, but our nature, that every generation of humanity, there's war, there's rape, there's murder, there's racism. Why? Human nature has been corrupted and infected by evil. And Jesus came into this world when the original plan got corrupted by Satan to say, I'm going to make a way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets back to the Father except through me, but the way is open to everyone. You can know him for your eternal life. You can know him as rescuer to change your nature for the better. You can know him as friend 
part of God's plan for you includes this moment right now. You're hearing about God in a way that is connecting like never before, and it's not an accident. That's God who's speaking to you, not me. God's the one who's stirring in your heart. God had a plan for that day a year ago, this month, when Marjorie walked in here and she just experienced God. God had a plan for her. God has a plan for you. Part of his plan was that he would not only die and raise from the dead, but that he would know how you feel. That's why one of my favorite things about Jesus, John eleven thirty five, 35, is that Jesus wept. Just like Mary Magdalene cried, just like Marjorie has grieved her family, Jesus wept. In my opinion, next to the resurrection, it's the greatest miracle of his ministry. The resurrection shows that he's fully God, but he cried the exact same tears that you cry, with the same three layers of ingredients, the same emotional tears that no animals cry, that only human beings cry, that unite us all. Isaiah 53 says of Jesus that he was despised and rejected on his way to the cross. A man of suffering, your Savior is familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. He was pierced when he was crucified for our mistakes. He was crushed for the things that we've done wrong. The punishment that brought us peace, we can know that we're right with God and we have a place in heaven because of what he did on the cross. By his wounds, we're healed. Now the plan of God does not end there. The plan of God extends out into the future. And just as much as hundreds of years before Jesus, it was prophesied Messiah will come and will die for the sins of the world, Jesus declares that there will be a future time when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, that's what he's working on right now. Can't imagine how great it's going to be. New heaven and new earth. And all who've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we will be there in a place where there's no racism, where there's no death. There are no hospitals, there's no cancer treatment. There are no prisons, there are no divorce courts. There are no weapons, there's no war, there's no death, there's no suffering. And describing it, Jesus says this in Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from the eyes of those who've believed in him and are there. Do you know for sure you're gonna be there? He'll wipe away the final tear. There will be a final tear that you ever cry when you're in heaven and you look back on all the suffering and turmoil of earth and human brokenness and you'll say, oh my goodness, we made it. He's gonna wipe every tear from your eye and there will be no more death. There will be no more funerals and mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. The old order of things, all we've ever known. We enter the world in blood and tears. And many leave the world the same way. The whole order is going to be done. A new heaven and a new earth. All because Jesus loved you enough to leave heaven. Die on a cross for you if you'd stand together with me. I just want to lead you in a brief prayer. Once you're standing, go ahead and close your eyes. It's just a moment for you and God to connect. It's a moment for you to go to Jesus. If you want to go to Jesus, even if you don't 
believe it all. You don't have it all figured out. You still have doubts. That's okay. You can still go like Mary Magdalene went to that tomb. Not fully knowing, but going. If it's on your heart to go to Jesus today, you can repeat these words after me. You can say them out loud if you want. You can say them in your heart if you want. Jesus, I believe you're God. Jesus, I know I need your help. Jesus, I I do believe today. I choose to believe. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, today, I ask you to forgive my sins. Jesus, I want to know you as friend. I want to know you as rescuer. Jesus, I want to know 10 out of 10 that I have eternal life. Would you adopt me into the family of God? Fill me with your spirit. And walk with me all the days of my life. If you've prayed that, if you've meant that, the word of God says that If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't earn it. You receive it. If you've received that today, I am so excited for you. Your whole life is going to change for the better. Your eternity has changed for the better. But right now, would you just join me in a moment of worship about this son of suffering who makes our salvation possible? Let's worship him together. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.